He that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And I believe that one of the reasons God has blessed the United States so much is that we have opened our hearts and our doors to the Jewish people and other cultural minorities. Brethren, we are at a very critical time in our nation's history, and we need to pray that God will give us on every level leadership that will bless Israel. Brethren, it has recently been said by someone that the United States needs Israel more than Israel needs the United States. Now, if we had time to look at the balance of Isaiah 19, we would see in the 20th verse that God is going to raise up a savior for the Egyptians. We would see in the 24th verse that there's going to be a highway one day between Egypt, Assyria, and Israel, and God will do what the United Nations nor no other power on earth can do. He will make them a blessing in the midst of the land. And God will give the Egyptians the title of the chosen people. He will say, blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of mine hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. In Isaiah 35, we see what's going to happen to the physical land of Israel itself once the Jews return. Verse 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. If I ask you this evening what Israel's number one source of income is, what would you suppose? Agriculture. The three that are at the top are diamond cutting, tourism, and agriculture. But since 1948, an agricultural miracle has indeed begun to take place. I was talking with Del de Haas. He's a friend that the Israeli government asked to head up a major portion of their agriculture program. And he told me some amazing things. He said, Manny, in the United States, when we grow wheat, we have one head of wheat at the top of each stem. He said, in Israel, they are now growing wheat with two and three heads of wheat at the top of every stem. He said, Manny, how many harvests a year do you think they have in Israel? Well, I'm not a farmer by background. I'm a city boy from Philadelphia, city of brotherly shove. Supposed to be love if you don't know. And uh, I don't know much about farming. I said, Dell, are they having four harvests a year in Israel? I thought that was generous. He said, Manny, I have been in places in Israel where they are now having 12 harvests a year. Dell told me, he said, I have seen apples, a cold climate fruit, growing right beside bananas, a subtropical fruit. I have had others confirm this. One day I was sharing at a college in Florida, the desert would rejoice and blossom as the rose. The president of the college, Dr. Larry Poland, stood up and interrupted me. He's now head of the Agape movement with Campus Crusade. He said, Manny, do you realize that Israel is exporting from its desert three to four plain loads of roses every day? Then my wife was reading a magazine not too long ago, and it said that last year from its desert, Israel exported to Europe alone some 50 million roses. Now how's that for a petered-out old desert? Now, how in the world did Isaiah know about the atomic distillation, the desalinization of salt seawater? How did Isaiah know about sophisticated irrigation methods that could transform a barren, void, parched desert and turn it into an agricultural miracle? How did Isaiah and Zephaniah and Zechariah and Jeremiah and Amos and the ancient Jewish prophets know these things? You know, if one Bible prophecy came true, we could say, boy, that's lucky. 
If two Bible prophecies came true, we could say, boy, that's a coincidence. If three Bible prophecies came true, we could say, boy, that's a lucky, remarkable coincidence. But friends, where prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy come true to the most precise detail, by the sheer law of compound probabilities, we have exceeded the realm of luck or coincidence and God has given us a sure word that is settled forever in the heavens. A word we can live by, base our decisions upon, and if necessary, stand up and be counted upon. And our relationship with this book will separate the men from the boys and the women from the girls, spiritually speaking. If we read this book only when we feel like it, we're going to spin our wheels for God. But if we are like King David, who would abide in God's word day and night and observe to do according to all that's written therein, then we will make our way prosperous and then we will have good success. And I say to you on the authority of the word of God that if you have people come across your pulpit and your houses of worship and in the Bible organizations you go to and they tickle your ears and they entertain you and they don't open up the word of God and feed you, then throw them out and don't have them back again. God says, I've honored my word above my name. Praise the Lord. Told you you love me or hate me. Now, the Bible is true in the past, it is true in the present, but what does the future hold? Luke, the 21st chapter, the second part of the Bible. You know, the New Covenant, the New Testament, meets the same standards of inspiration as the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 31, 31, God promised a New Testament that he would write in the fleshly tables of our heart and mind. The Old Testament promised the Messiah, the New Testament is the fulfillment of that promise. I was talking with a Messianic leader one day, and I said, Marty, what do you think? You think Luke was the only non-Jewish author in the New Testament? He said, now look, man, he, he said Luke was Paul's personal physician. He was Paul's doctor. He said, besides, you can't go by uh, Luke's name because all the Jews had Greek names. He said Luke was Paul's doctor. He said, Manny, did you ever see a doctor that wasn't Jewish? Well, there are a few of them. In any case, the oracles of God were given by the Jewish people. Verse 24 of Luke 21. And they, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword. They shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down or controlled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, when Jesus gave that prediction, there was no reason to believe it. Why in the world would the small Jewish nation insurrect against the world ruler Rome? But exactly as Jesus said, in 70 AD, the Jews did insurrect against Rome, and the Prince Titus came in fulfillment of Daniel, the ninth chapter, and he leveled the city and the sanctuary exactly as Daniel said that he would. The Jews fell by the edge of the sword, and Jerusalem remained in the control of the Gentile nations. Jesus said that Jerusalem would continue to be controlled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles were what? Fulfilled. Therefore, one may conclude that when the Gentile nations no longer control Jerusalem, the times of the Gentiles would be what? Fulfilled. I would like to ask you tonight, when in current history did the Jewish people recapture complete control of Jerusalem? June 7, 1967, General Moshe Dayan, the Israeli army and the chief rabbi of Israel, Shlomo Goren, marched into the old sector of Jerusalem. And for the first time in 26 centuries, Jerusalem was completely in the control of the Jewish people. 
Jesus said that would not happen until the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled. Now, brethren, I am not saying that God has closed the door hard and fast on the Gentile age. But what I am saying is that God is beginning to close that door. He is wrapping up things on the late great planet Earth. And what we're going to do for the Lord and God, we better do it quickly because the night is coming when no man can work. If there's any doubt in your mind that we're reaching the fullness of the Gentiles, I'd like to refer you to another Jewish friend of mine. His name is called Rabbi Saul of Tarsus. You might know him as the Apostle Paul. And in Romans 11.25, writing to the born-again Gentile Christians, he said, Brethren, I don't want you to be conceited. He said, There is a partial spiritual blindness on the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That is the only other time in the New Testament that term is used, the fullness of the Gentiles. Paul said that there would be only a partial spiritual blindness on Israel, not a total spiritual blindness, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. If we are reaching the fullness of the Gentiles or the close of the Gentile age, what should God be doing with the partial spiritual blindness on the Jews? Should be lifting it. Did you ever notice that since June 7, 1967, these full-page newspaper articles began to appear? So many Jews are wearing that smile nowadays, including some with you here tonight, Baruch Hashem. Time magazine, full-page articles on Jews for Jesus. Other magazines, Jews with a smile. Here's an interesting little caption. Now it's kosher to believe in the Messiah. It's always been kosher to believe in the Messiah clean. Yeshua made me kosher. Jews for Jesus' new freak group. What can I say? <laughs> Teen Jesus Saves campaign worries some reform rabbis. One rabbi said we need to re-examine our relationship to Jesus as the Messiah. The other rabbi said Jews do not need to discover the Christian Christ, but Christians must discover the Jewish Jesus. Christians must discover the Jewish Jesus. Have you discovered your Jewish Jesus, your spiritual roots as the seed of Abraham by faith? And then on the 201st anniversary of the United States, Time magazine took its entire next to the last page with an article entitled, Yeshua is the Messiah. Even Time magazine is becoming messianic. They can't stop it, brethren. You see, thousands of Jews are coming into the kingdom of God. You and I are living to see something that all of creation has waited for. We are finally seeing the Jews become the spiritual people and the witnesses for which God chose us Jews before the foundation of the world. And if we don't rejoice, the stones are going to cry out. And spiritual rigor mortis is already set in, bless your heart. Now Jesus said that when the fig tree Israel begins to spiritually blossom, we should lift up our heads and we should look up because our redemption is drawing nigh. Not only does the Bible say that we are reaching the fullness of the Gentiles, but the Bible also says the time of Jacob's trouble is coming upon us in Jeremiah the 30th chapter, the 7th verse. And in Zechariah the 14th chapter, the 2nd verse, God says all nations are going to gather against Jerusalem to battle. Now when God says all, he means all. Some would say, Manny, the Western nations, they will not turn against Israel, would they? 
May I remind us that during the Yom Kippur War, these headlines began to appear. We want oil, not anti-Semitic bumper stickers. What do they mean? I drove up to a business establishment in Philadelphia. There was a car there, and on the back of the car, it had a sign, bumper sticker, Dump Israel, we need Arab oil, not more wars. Dump Israel, we need Arab oil, not more wars. I'm glad that at our national convention of born-again Jews and those that had a love for the Jewish people, one of the young people, as we marched down the center of Harrisburg with a $7,500 conference check for the State of Israel, one of the young people carried a sign, and the sign said, Israel must live, God will provide the oil. God provided the oil in the first place. Besides, God has energy resources that he hasn't even revealed to us. If we would only put God first and bless Israel and stop playing politics in the Middle East. Amen. Brethren, we are very much in our present situation because we did not honor God and we did not bless Israel. And we will never solve the inflation problem until we solve the energy problem and bless God and bless Israel. Nevertheless, these headlines continue to appear. We need OIL. We need oil, not Israel. Those of you close enough up front, what is the symbol at the top of this paper? It is a Nazi swastika. And as we are here in this beautiful house of worship tonight, worshiping God and the freedom of religion, there are satanic, demonic forces insidiously at work to destroy the Jew, to destroy the Word of God, and to destroy everyone that names the name of Christ. And if we are indifferent and say that that is not my problem, that is the Jews' problem, we do well to remember the words of Mordecai to Esther. He said, whether you get involved or not, deliverance will come, but thinkest thou not that thou and thy house shall escape altogether. One day I was shocked to see in the Washington Post that the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States publicly criticized the Jewish influence in this country. And the general said Americans must get tough with the Jews because they have too much influence in our country. Now this general just said publicly what a lot of people who don't know the Bible are thinking privately. Amen? Now I've had more than one Christian put his head on my shoulder and weep like a baby because of the hatred that used to be in his heart for the Jews before he found Jesus. Rabbi Meyer Kahane, head of the Jewish Defense League, said that the greatest friend in the world that Israel has would be the evangelical Christian. And I would agree with Rabbi Kahane. Now I'd like to ask you tonight, when people who don't know the Bible have to wait in lines at the gas station, when we have to pay a dollar and a half or two dollars a gallon of gas, and I used to say by the end of the decade, I'll say within a year, when inflation eats up the dollar and we turn down the thermostats in our home and we and our family are cold, whom do you suppose is going to get blamed for all this? OPEC that quadrupled the price of oil in one day and has almost wrecked the world's economy or Israel that will not give up borders essential to the integrity of our security? Who's going to get blamed? Israel, the Jews, you know as well as I do. Now this general is not the first one in all of history to say these things. There was another very famous general. His name was General Haman. And in the book of Esther, he said, Mr. President, Mr. King, 
The Jews are proliferating. They're taking over our country. It is not profitable for our country to have Jews anymore. Let's kill all the Jews. Now, why in the world does it keep happening to this particular group of people? Again, the Word of God has the answer. Don't turn to it now, but in Revelation, the 12th chapter, there is a woman who has a crown of 12 stars, one each for the 12 tribes of Israel. She is clothed with the sun. She has the moon under her feet, a beautiful woman. And it says that she brought forth a man-child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And brethren, it says the dragon, the serpent, the devil attacked this woman who brought forth the man-child. And the reason that Satan hates the Jews and keeps attacking them millennia after millennia is because God has used them to bring the Bible and to bring the Messiah to you. And Satan knows that when the Jews get saved, they're going to have a major part in world evangelism. Satan knows that he has a short time. And as he tried to kill the Christ child when he was two years old and under, Satan knows that if he can kill the Jews, he can frustrate world evangelism. And that's much of what anti-Semitism is all about. Now, some would say, Manny, that woman of Revelation 12, that's not Israel. Some would say, Manny, that's the church. But brethren, it is not the church that has brought forth the man-child. It is the man-child that has brought forth the church. You see, Satan is smarter than a lot of Christians. If he can get us to spiritualize what God means to be taken literally about physical Israel, Satan will take away our key from understanding Bible prophecy. God has wonderful promises for the church, but he has a few little promises for physical Israel. And as the nations of the world turn against the Jews, they will spew out some 15 million Jews one by one back to the, nations, uh, back to the nation of Israel. Nations like Iran that once tolerated the Jews have turned against them. What was the first thing that Ayatollah Khomeini did when he took control in Iran? He gave the Israeli embassy to Yasser Arafat and the Palestine Liberation Organization and he confiscated private Jewish property. Now some might say, Manny, I can understand that because Iran is a Muslim nation. But Manny, surely the industrial nations would not turn against Israel. May I remind us tonight that Japan, the third greatest industrial power on the face of the earth, was brought to her knees by a bowl of oil. And for a bowl or a barrel of oil, Japan has consistently voted against Israel and the United Nations because of the oil leverage. And oil might very well be the leverage that Satan will use to turn the nations against Israel. But the Bible's on top of that too. Because in Deuteronomy 33:19 it says that they shall suck of the abundance of the seas and they shall suck treasures out of the sand. You see, if you really want to know what's going on in the world today, before you turn on the television news, I suggest you read the Bible and really get the scoop. And as 15 million Jews are forced to go back to Israel, the Bible says in Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9, that two-thirds of the land of Israel will be cut off and die. I'd like to ask you tonight, how much is two-thirds of 15 million Jews? 10 million Jewish people. 10 million Jewish people will be murdered in Jacob's trouble. And Jacob's trouble will make Hitler look like child's play. 
I am here tonight to plead with you and to beg you to love your Jewish friends and relatives and neighbors while you can. Because the night is coming when no man can work. And in Hitler's Germany, not only did the Jewish people get it, but tens of thousands of the Lord's children had to stand up and be counted. And Corey Ten Boon lost her entire family to Hitler's henchmen because of their love for the Jewish people. And someday soon, you and I might have to ask the question, am I willing to go into a gas oven or some other death device because of my love for the Jewish people? And parents, we might have to answer even a more difficult question. Am I willing to let my precious son or daughter be cut up alive and tortured as a medical experiment because of my love for the Jews? You think that we wouldn't have to answer those questions? The believers in Hitler's Germany had to answer them less than a generation ago. And in that day, we won't be anxious to get home and see Starsky and Hutch or Kojak or Charlie's Angels on television. We will search our heart of hearts and say, what in the world was Manny saying that night? Does the Bible really say that it's worth dying and seeing my children put to death because I love Israel? And we will try desperately to remember the scriptures from this night. A sister said, Manny can't God overrule this. I said, Mary, I just finished telling you everything in the Bible comes true. We held hands in a circle that day, and we wept and we prayed, and we said, oh, God, wasn't six million Jews in the Holocaust bad enough? Why in the world Jacob's trouble? And Mary blurted out, she said, I know. She said, if we reach them for Messiah Yeshua, Messiah Jesus, they won't have to go through it, because in Revelation 3, God says, I will keep thee from the hour that is to try the whole earth. And Jesus is the answer for both Jew and for Gentile. And God says he's going to pour the spirit of grace and supplication on the Jewish people. He says Israel shall be saved out of Jacob's trouble. He says they will look at him whom they've pierced and mourn for him and say, what are these wounds in thine hand? And Jesus will answer, these are the wounds with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The Messiah said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And as millions of Jews begin to die in Jacob's trouble, they're going to realize that they're going to be completely annihilated unless they turn to God through the Messiah. And they're going to call out, Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua. Bless the name of the Messiah Jesus. And God will remove their iniquity in one day. And the Bible says, All Israel shall be saved. Praise God. As somebody said, we've read the last page of the book. God wins and we do too. And according to Zechariah 8.23, ten men of the nations will take hold of a Jewish clothing and say, we've heard God is with you, Mr. Jew, show us the way to God. And in that day, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish Billy Graham running all over the place. Bless your heart. It may not be an accident that Jewish people are in television media because when they get saved and filled with the Spirit of God, they're going to zap the gospel around the world via satellite television. But you say, Manny, I'm not born Jewish. What does God have in me for all this? Or for, for me and all these things? Well, God has for you the greatest part in this. I'd like to ask you today, was Abraham Jewish or Gentile? If you'll excuse the expression, Abe was a goy. Abraham was born Gentile. And he was chosen to be the first Jew because Abraham was a man of what? Faith. 
And Abraham was not to head up so much of a physical Jewish race, but a faith Jewish race. And tonight, if you have accepted the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish blood of atonement, and the Jewish Messiah, you are part of Abraham's faith Jewish race. Now, I'd like to say as a Jew, there was a time in my life that this meant absolutely nothing. And I began a search in life. I tried religion. And in my case, it was organized Judaism. Maybe you've been turned off on organized religion. I was turned off on organized religion. Even my Judaism, God seemed to be a million miles away. I tried academics. And I had honors and scholarship both in high school and college. And yet I could not live for a string of doctorate degrees after my name. A Jewish girl has written a song which describes my search. Faye Glasper calls her song, There's a Hole in My Soul. And Faye is not talking about poor quality shoe leather. She's talking about the God-shaped hole in each of us. And we try to fill that God-shaped hole with big houses and new cars and drugs and sex and money and uh, prestige and thrills and pride. But that God-shaped hole is reserved for a born-again, personal, intimate relationship with God himself. And nothing else can fill that void or vacuum in our life. I thought another answer in life was friends. And I was quarterback of the championship football team in the city of Philadelphia. I was pitcher of the winning City Park baseball team at awards in basketball and table tennis and friends, yes, but I could not live in life only to be a professional athlete. I thought another answer in life was the business world. And I worked my way up in production control, president's assistant. We had a lovely ranch home, a modern, in a modern Jewish community, two brand new cars, and we had a twin-engine corporate aircraft. And I had a nuclear pilot who designed the specifications for the Navy to drop atomic bombs. And this nuclear pilot flew me and the executives that worked for me wherever I wanted to go. And then on television before millions of people. What I am saying is that in the course of my lifetime, I have been privileged to experience many things that people live their whole life trying to get. And I have found that without a born-again, intimate, personal relationship with God, these things are as vain as the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Now, one day before I experienced many of these things, I met a Jewish Bible believer and his wife. And I thought they were holy rollers, religious fanatics. Maybe like you think that the person invited you here is. I don't know. But George and Doris Groom lived their life on a higher plane than anybody I had ever met. And they invited me out with the Bible study. And I thought I'd even put up with the Bible. And for the first time in my life, I seriously began to study the Jewish scriptures. And as I brought out tonight, even though this book was written thousands of years ago, I was amazed to see how it was telling the things that were going on in my generation. And I said to George, that's great, but what about me? Is there something for me as an individual? And George pointed out that God created each of us to have a personal, intimate relationship with God, and that if we did, we would have an abundant life. But I said, George, most people don't have the kind of life you're talking about. Why is that? He said, Manny, the Bible says our sin separates us from God. The middle letter of sin is I. I don't need God. I don't need the Bible. I don't need anybody. I can run my own life, and I mess it up every time. I said, George, what should I do about sin? He said, what did Abraham, the first Jew, do? I said, did he outweigh his bad deeds with his good deeds? And we looked it up, and to my surprise, it was not Abraham's mitzvot. It wasn't his good works that made him right with God. It was his faith. Abraham believed God, and God counted his faith to him as righteousness or right standing. I said, George, what should I place my faith in? 
said, Mandy, do you remember in Hader in Hebrew school, the lamb was killed and blood was shed? I said, yes. He said, that was an act of faith acceptable to God. I said, where can I get the blood of atonement today? The temple is destroyed. We don't know who the sons of Aaron are, absolutely for sure. He said, Manny, God has promised in the Jewish Bible a perfect lamb, one called the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Anointed One. And there are over 300 prophecies that identify him. He would be born in Bethlehem, of a virgin. He'd live a sinless life. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He would die by crucifixion, and he would arise from the dead. And I knew of only one Jew in all of history that could fulfill those qualifications. Yeshua, known to my Gentile friends, as Jesus. I said, oi, vase mir, George, woe is me, I got a problem. <laughs> I don't want to accept Jesus and become a Gentile. He said, Manny, did it ever occur to you that by accepting the Jewish Bible and the Jewish blood of atonement and the Jewish Messiah, that that was a very Jewish thing to do? He said, now that you mentioned it, it does sound kind of kosher. He said, beside the Messiah did not come to destroy our Judaism, but to fulfill it, to make us better Jews and better people. One day I heard those beautiful words of Yeshua. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and life and knock, and if you open it, I will come in and fellowship with you. This Jewish young man, I got alone in the privacy of my home, and I got on my knees before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I cried out, God, I've sinned against you so much, and I ask your forgiveness, and Messiah Yeshua, come into my heart, cleanse me with your blood, be my Passover lamb. When I prayed that prayer, the lights in my room did not flicker, an angel didn't knock on the door with a telegram from God, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he came closer than any family member, he came closer than my hands or my breath, and I found a peace that passed all human understanding. We hope that this tape has been a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments, you can write to us at the Messianic Jewish Movement International, Post Office Box 30313, Washington, D.C., 20014. That's the Messianic Jewish Movement International, Post Office Box 30313, Washington, D.C., 20014. Or you can call us at area code... 301-656-7575. That's area code 301-656-7575.